This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and back across from me this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, once again, welcome back to the podcast. Happy holidays. How are you doing, my friend? I, Paul, I'm just absolutely delighted to be back, and happy holidays to you too, my friend, and to everybody else out there. I hope this you know, podcast finds you, your families, and loved ones safe and getting ready for uh, a great holiday season. You know, we have basketball back. We have football, playoff football happening. Uh, the NHL, if you're a hockey fan, is on the horizon. You know, sports are back, which is exciting. And, um, yeah, I really just can't wait to get started again, Paul, looking now at the bowl games and seeing what's going to transpire with the playoffs. I mean, you know, who's in, who's out, who should have been in, who should have been out. I mean, you really can't get in a better kind of state of affairs. And, Paul, you know I've been pretty much on the – on kind of the – uh kind of on the bench recently, you know, as uh, life has been happening to me and my family, all good things, of course. Um, but I haven't had a chance to watch players and I'm finally getting back into the film room, starting to uh, kind of churn out film and look at players. So, you know, everything's on the horizon. Hopefully I'll have some interesting uh, things to share as we get into the spring and towards draft season again. So I'm excited. I'm excited really for this you know, this holiday break and then for the upcoming season, that is our draft season. So everything to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and sports is one of the few, uh, distractions from, you know, the, the troubling times, you know, that we still are here in our country. So it, it's basketball back and college football and the bowl games and the playoffs and the, the pre-draft process, NFL and, and all that stuff. Uh, it's exciting that we have that to, uh, give us a little bit of a reprieve. Uh, from reality and you know here we are like college playoffs set like didn't know if we were going to get there this year and now games are set for you know I think it's New Year's Day or you know the day after the four game the the two playoff games are set uh it sure seems like we're on a crash course to Clemson versus Alabama again uh but we'll talk a little bit more about that you know when we get to the tail of the tape and we do a little bit of an early preview uh there but but let's start with the as we always do with the NFL draft report for week 16 of the college football season let's start the quarterback position I'm going to mention a couple things uh and then you can kind of chime in on any which way you want to go obviously Trevor Lawrence 322 yards two touchdowns and interception this week in the ACC title game uh, Clemson enacting revenge over Notre Dame. Uh, you know, maybe the biggest Trevor Lawrence news this week was the Jets winning a game that most people did not give him a chance. And right now the Jaguars potentially in the driver's seat for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Kyle Trask and Mac Jones, two quarterbacks that have emerged this year, uh, you know, into improving their draft stock, battled it out in a classic SEC championship game on Saturday night. Kyle Trask, 408 yards and three touchdowns. Mac Jones, 418 yards, five touchdowns. I got to be honest with you. We're not really hot take type of people here. I haven't, I like Mac Jones, but I still don't see the round one. I, I don't, I don't see it in the way that the NFL game is played now, the way that the NFL you know, teams want playmakers and guys that could, 
you know, use their arm and their legs. I think Mac Jones is a little bit of a throwback. And I, I think he's more of a day two type talent, a round two, round three type guy. I know in the past I've said he reminds me of who Mason Rudolph was when he was coming out of Oklahoma State. Throws a good vertical ball. Uh, you know, does a lot of things nice, but I'm, I just don't see franchise quarterback. He plays with a tremendous amount of talent. I think he's a good developmental prospect. That's who I think he is. If he, maybe he could develop into a starter. I wouldn't want to draft him as a starter at the next level. And, you know, I think that might be not the consensus, which, you know, I don't usually veer that different, but I, I think on this, I feel, I, I don't feel like Mac Jones should be a top 20 or top you know, 25 pick. I think he's more of a day two guy. Personally, I, I like Kyle Trask a little bit better. I I, I like Kyle Trask's his game a little bit better. And I don't think he's going to get taken ahead of Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is going. Uh, but I think in terms of day two type quarterback guys, I prefer Kyle Trask a little bit more. I see more growth uh, from Trask than I expected to see this year. Uh, so I think it's been nice to kind of see Trask. Again, he's another guy, a little bit slow-footed, you know, pretty much a statue at times, not a guy who's going to play off structure too much. And I think, you know, that's going to hinder him a little bit at the next level. Uh, and then probably one of the biggest surprises of the weekend is Justin Fields, maybe his worst game as a collegiate player, 12 of 27, 114 yards, two interceptions in the big 10 championship. Ohio state still came out victorious, uh, but Fields really struggled in that one. Any, any thoughts on, you know, that big group of names there that I mentioned from the Trevor to field struggling, you know, to Jones and Trask and them maybe fitting into a different style of play at the NFL level and the quarterbacks? Well, I, I think you're spot on with Mac Jones and, and even Kyle Trask. I mean, I, I still think we're talking about players that are going to be developmental prospects. And I think that that word developmental has newfound meaning when you look at players you know, like Josh Allen and his kind of climb and rise to fame. You know, now Josh Allen was a, you know, was a, a premium kind of player that was picked, you know, pretty high in the first round. I mean, he was taken with the purpose of actually starting and becoming the starter. But I guess my point being is, is that, you know, it, could it very well be that we are starting to find, you know, a little bit more patience in terms of developing players at all positions? Are we, finally going to look, you know, past the idea of, you know, it's either boom or bust and maybe look a little bit more towards, well, let's see what types of tools we're cooking with and let's see if we can kind of develop these guys, you know, into a little bit more of a better player. And I, I think if Mac Jones were to find his way to a team, you know, I mean, I've, I, I think it was, um, I think I was recently listening to ESPN radio and I do forget. So I apologize who was speaking at the time, but you know, could the jets go and invest in a player like a Mac Jones? Could they go and invest in a player like a Kyle Trask? If they are in fact going to not take Justin Fields at two, if they are going to go ahead and take Sam Darnold and just ride that train and say, Hey, we changed the coaching staff. We still believe in Sam. Let's go ahead and see what he can do. We still think he's the quarterback we took from USC. We just think it was the regime that really undermined his ability to kind of develop and become competent. You know, could we see them take a player like Mac Jones or Kyle Trask? I, I, I think that's very reasonable. I think that those 
could be players and those could be destinations that we're looking at. You know, could a team like the Bears take one of those guys? You know, if they're not going to go all out and get a quarterback and just throw it all, you know, throw it all away. You know, those are the types of situations where those guys could fit. And I do believe that those guys could flourish in those types of conditions, sitting behind a clipboard, getting a couple of spot starts here and there as needed. Um, I, I, I like those players. I think Justin Fields and I think what we had happen to him um, in, in the big, you know, in the big 10, you know, title game. I'm, I'm for one, I think that I don't want to say it's a lot to do about nothing. It's not, it was a big moment. He didn't play well. He didn't play up to the capacity and the capabilities that he's capable of playing, but I don't think we should immediately just be saying it's clear. It's clear. He's the, you know, he's that much worse than Trevor Lawrence. I am still a very much in believing that Trevor Lawrence, yes, okay, I understand why he's the one one, and I have no issue with it. That's fine. Go ahead. I'm still going to be the stalwart that would really, really consider Justin Fields at number one. Yes, I might actually consider him over Trevor Lawrence. I do, in fact, believe in his abilities as a quarterback to the extent where I could see his ceiling being equivalent to, if not slightly higher than Trevor. And I still think that these are both guys that are marquee players. Again, Canton bound, I think that's an unfair thing to talk about. I mean, you know, not like Hall of Famer Patrick Mahomes. I mean, we know Hall of Famer Patrick Mahomes. We know he's going to the Hall of Fame. But I don't think it's fair for me to, to kind of to kind of endow any of those guys with those types of qualities. I think those guys have the capacity to be very good uh, starters at the NFL level. I'm still of the mindset where I could see a reality where Justin Fields ends up being the ever so slightly better starter than Trevor Lawrence. And I know that goes in direct contrast to his performance this weekend, uh, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go crazy about that performance. I'm going to allow the entire breadth of his tape and career kind of speak a little bit more about his capacity to play. And I'm going to say, you know what? He has some things to clean up, but I still see the potential there for him to be, an exceptionally good quarterback at the NFL level. One where I think he's my one a to Trevor Lawrence's one B. Yeah. And listen, I think the elephant in the room here is, uh, is Zach Wilson at a BYU and absolutely. And he he played, he played tonight. And I mean, just, just finished up his game. Not that long ago. I mean, 26 of 34, 425 yards, three touchdowns, passing two more rushing. And listen, here it's Saturday Sunday. We 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 talk all the time about this is not a stagnant evaluation process that we are constantly developing and players develop themselves. We change as we watch these players in terms of what we think of these guys. I watched four Zach Wilson games earlier in the year, and I came away thinking to myself, good player, deserving of round one talk. But I didn't see him do some things that, again, the, the, the old age question of can he not do them or was he not asked to do them in those games that I watched? When I watched those four games earlier in the year, I didn't see tight window throws. I didn't see him have to put a tremendous amount of zip on those throws. I didn't have to see him push the ball vertically down the field much. I saw him live in the short to intermediate parts of the field with occasional shots deep. I saw a wide open passing lane, so I didn't have to see him really, you know, thread the needle, really, you know, rev up the velocity and, and put a lot on those passes. 
And I came away thinking, okay, like, I'm not sure. Like, I see enough that I'm intrigued with. I love the ability to throw off platform, throw from different arm angles, you know, make plays, you know, when the play breaks down, buy time in the pocket, keep his eyes up field. There were lots of things. Basically what we wanted from, like, Brock Purdy, but way, way more advanced than and and better decision maker and stuff like that. But then as the year has been going on, the hype has been building and building. There is now very reputable people. Dane Brugler thinks he should go right after Trevor Lawrence, as high as number two. He thinks the Jets, if they keep the pick, will have a conversation, Zach Wilson, or keep Sam Darnold and, you know, potentially go that route. That's one avenue. But then, you know, another person that that we talk about constantly, Daniel Jeremiah is one of the best in the business. And Brandon Jones, friend of the podcast, former, uh, you know, colleague here at Saturday to Sunday, you know, talking to him before about this, and he he brought up to me, and I missed this. Daniel Jeremiah recently sent out a couple of tweets about Zach Wilson. Words to describe Zach Wilson's throwing ability. Twitchy, loose, natural, easy, and explosive. Followed it up with, his build, athleticism, and natural motion remind me of Aaron Rodgers in ways. Those are lofty comments. And it makes me think that obviously Dan Jeremiah is probably watching all 22 films sent to him, you Absolutely. know, sent to, through NFL network. But it makes me think that I gotta, I gotta rewatch more games and I might have missed something watching the first few games of the season. And there's been other things that have been put out on tape that I just didn't see when I watched it. I saw things that I liked. I did, but I didn't see some of this. I didn't see some of what, what's being talked about him right now. So I'm intrigued to watch more because I think there's a lot of people now. The buzz is building that we thought it was a Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields conversation. Now it almost seems like Trevor Lawrence is, is kind of separated, but now it seems like it's a legitimate conversation. Zach Wilson or Justin Fields in the NFL's eyes. And, and that I didn't see coming. I, I didn't see that coming. And I think it's very interesting. Uh, and I need to go back and do some more, more work on Zach Wilson for sure. Uh, before now I finalize my report for, for the Scotty notebook, because there's been enough noise around that has me thinking that I might've missed some things, or maybe in those first few games, he just didn't be asked to do certain things. And that's what we talk about all the time is a reason why we changed it from weaknesses to developmental areas or, or things concerns because we just didn't see things and not, we didn't want to call it a weakness. We haven't seen him do this. We haven't seen him do that because we don't know sometimes. And this might be a perfect example of maybe the games that I watched of, of Zach Wilson. I just didn't see him. He just maybe wasn't asked to do some of these things that now other games that he's been doing. And I'm fascinated to go back and watch them. Well, you know what? I, I think this would be an opportunity for us to kind of kind of go ahead and make this maybe something that we put a mission stamp on. Let's go back to the tape and we'll reconvene in our next episode and we'll talk about some of this again. Because I'll agree with you, man. I, I, I don't have the eyes on Zach Wilson really at all. Again, like we've known this whole year. I mean, I'm only just getting back into a lot of the things. So I, I don't really have a very kind of, I want to say a full kind of understanding of the breadth and depth of his ability. So 
I'm going to start, I'm going to write that down now on my own little notepad that I keep when we got shows. And I'm going to put that down as something to go back and watch. And maybe we can talk about this next time. Maybe we can kind of go ahead and get a little bit of an updated feel on Zach Wilson and compare him to Justin Fields and, and have this out a little bit. So this might be a really good kind of, kind of uh thumbtack for us to kind of talk about in the next episode or even the following episode, but maybe it's a point that we got to come back to because I agree with you where there's smoke, there's fire. And when we're talking DJ and we're talking, you know, Dane Brugler, friend of the podcast guy who we respect immensely in terms of his process and just overall, you know, approach to the, the, the evaluation profession. I, when, when those guys talk, I listen because I know that they're going ahead and doing, you know, they're, they're looking at film that we don't get a chance to watch. They're putting in, hours on film that we don't get a chance to see and yes it matters what type of film you're watching it really does it gives you a better perspective on how things are happening in time and space and when you know what's happening in time and space you can better evaluate the decisions and the performance and the quality of the solutions that the player is producing on the field Absolutely. And one other quarterback that I want to make note of is I'm still intrigued by Desmond Ritter and he might not be even a day two pick. He might be around four pick. Uh, but, but again, I can't watch him. Every time I watch him, I was watching Cincinnati the other night on Saturday night. Every time I watch him, I, I'm, I, he reminds me of Colin Kaepernick when Colin Kaepernick was in college, you know, the long stride lengths, the arm, uh, you know, so much about his game reminds me of Colin Kaepernick. So he's another guy, keep on the back of your radar, not maybe a top 100 guy, but he could be an intriguing round four guy and, and kind of see if he has a little bit of development in him. If we take this to the running back position, I'm going to keep this pretty tight to renames tonight. Najee Harris, 178 yards and two touchdowns, five catches, 67 yards and three touchdowns. He's the most complete back in this draft, and it's not even close. It is not even close to get the gap between three down running back in this class. He's basically the only one that's truly a top level talent, you know, top 100 type guy who's legitimately a all purpose back, three down back can do it all. And Najee Harris just continues you know, to put the the critics in terms of whoever questioned his upside athleticism, uh, pass catching ability, just continues to answer the bell there. Travis Ethian, 124 yards rushing and a touchdown. Obviously, a very high level prospect in his own right. Uh, explosive player. Uh, very far from Najee Harris in terms of receiving capabilities. I think, in my opinion, and then the story of the week. I mean, my God, Trey Sermon, 29 carries, 381 yards, and two touchdowns. That's like, that's like, a, that's like a month for some players, and he did that in one game. And the thing that's really interesting about Trey Sermon is I really liked him at Oklahoma. When he was at Oklahoma, I thought there was a big, big difference between him and Kennedy Brooks. And then he went to Ohio State, and you know, him and Master Teague have kind of been you know, sharing backfield duties, and I think Master Teague has been you know, leading that committee a little bit. Uh, but Trey Sermon is an intriguing player. And I don't think, you know, this is a very up for debate draft class in terms of the running backs. We know Najee and Ethan are going one, two. I don't even think that's debate, but I don't think it's, I think it's very unknown who's number three, who's number four, who's number five. And I don't know if any of them go in the top 100 picks. I think we could have Ethan and Najee Harris go in the top 50. And then we don't see another running back until round four. Probably somebody ends up pushing up the board, but I think Trey Sermon's, 
is going to push himself into the mix here as a day three running back that could be intriguing the teams. You know, he moves pretty good for a guy his size. He's got some burst and wiggle to his game. He's got some power, that contact fidelity we always talk about here. Uh, so I, I, you couldn't come away not impressed with his performance, obviously. Uh, but I think the bigger the bigger thing is is that there's room for running backs to really emerge in this draft class. And I think Sermon has, has kind of put his, his stamp that, listen, don't forget about me. I'm in that mix too. And I think, you know, he's going to be there somewhere on round four or round five. And I think he's going to be talked about a decent amount. And maybe this game even pushes him into more of the spotlight. And, you know, who's to say, like I said, maybe one or two other guys can push their way into round three. And I don't think it's a, you know, I don't think Sermon can at least be in that consideration. No, and I agree with you. And I think Trey Sermon has been that guy that, you know, even from the Oklahoma days when I agree with you, he definitely was a player that I preferred, you know, over Kennedy Brooks as well. And and even coming out of high school, I mean, we talked about this the last time that I was able to, uh, you know, share the air here. And he's not a player that's that's kind of been under the radar, so to speak. He's a player that's been there. It's just that his career has certainly been, you know, something that hasn't been as consistent as we would have liked. And, you know, I mean, and that goes kind of doubly, Paul, to your point about, you know, kind of it being wide open after Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. I mean, even Javante Williams had 23 carries for 236 yards and three touchdowns versus Miami. I mean, you're talking another guy who had a, a performance that, you know, would be equivalent to, in multiple games for most players. And he's another guy that's kind of surging up boards. I, I think it's really going to just come down to the quintessential question that you and I um, have really, I think in some ways, I, I don't want to say that, you know, this is a hallmark of our kind of analysis or process, but I think it's something that, you know, we've kind of begun to really kind of lock arms and kind of tie into, which is we want versatility in our players. We need players that are versatile, that are capable of winning in a variety of ways. So that way at the next level, which is, you know, the NFL, they're capable of being effective in a variety of situations. And Trey Sermon has that capacity and players like Javante Williams have that capacity. Yeah, I know they don't have, you know, the stats, the gaudy stats in, in all respective areas. But I think that these guys are, you know, multifaceted and versatile contributors in terms of their ability to contribute in as inside runners, outside runners. I, I think you're going to see them kind of be intrigued by a lot of teams. I think there's going to be teams that are going to, you know, look at these guys and say, you know, we have to embolden or kind of fill out our running back room and we'll see how things go. I mean, I, I, I'm excited for a guy like Trey Sermon. Yeah, yeah. Sermon is a guy that really does get me a little bit excited when you when you see that kind of performance and you see a wide open class. Like, listen, I don't think you're going to have many starters come out of this class, but can yep. you see? Can you have some role players? Can you have some guys that form committees? Sure. And those guys, those guys are valuable. And and I think Sermon is one of those guys that could definitely be in the mix for a team as a day three running back, and then maybe work his way up you know, into part of a timeshare at some point down the line. If we take this to the wide receiver positions, listen, you listen to the narrative that's out there and Devonta Smith is is nipping on Jamar Chase's heels now to be the first wide receiver in this draft class. And I think it's justified. I mean, Devonta Smith, you know, I thought he was a good player last year at Alabama, worthy of being a top 40 or 50 pick if he came out of the draft last year. What he's done this year with, Less of a cast around him. I mean, Mac Jones is, is solid. He's not Tua. Then they lose Jalen Waddle, 
And you're like, okay, well, I mean, Jalen Waddle drew a lot of attention because he's a special prospect in his own right. And now Devonta Smith, it's, it's every week. This past week, 15 catches, 184 yards, and two touchdowns. He's basically unstoppable. His 170-pound frame has done nothing at the collegiate level to hinder his game at all. Is it a small concern at the NFL level? Sure. But I think he can put some muscle on it, and he'll probably be 180 before he even steps foot at the combine is my guess. And I think he'll be fine. He's a premier route runner. He's got good hands. He's got more explosiveness than people give him credit to. No, he's not Jalen Waddle. He's not going to run a 4-2. He's probably going to run a 4-4-5 or something like that, or a 4-5 flat. I don't care. I think he'll be – he gets open. His play speed is fantastic. He beats people deep. He beats people after the catch. He's a, he's a good route runner. He's got great understanding of route concepts. And for a guy his size, he shows aggression going up to get the ball. So there's not a lot to not like about Devonta Smith. You know, I know as Giants fans, we are craving a, a big time playmaking wide receiver. And yeah, we've, we've hinted that, that maybe we're a little bit more of a big bodied guy because the Giants have a lot of smaller guys, but I'm not going to sit there and complain if Devonta Smith is a New York Giant on draft night in the middle of the first round at some point or, or, you know, or, or the back end of the top 10 or something like that. Do you think that it warrants him being on the heels of Jamar Chase? I mean, yes, I absolutely do. And, and I think that like, and not to sound, not to sound rude about it, because again, you know, far be it from me or anybody else to say that we have answers. We don't have answers. We just have questions, but I'll, I'll ask a good question here. How, how many, how many games has Devonta Smith missed because of injury over his time at Alabama playing in the sec for arguably one of the most competitive kind of franchises out there in college football? I, yeah, I couldn't find any. I mean, no. I couldn't find any. So can we can we maybe table the analysis of frame and maybe just say that he hasn't known any other frame except the one that he's been playing in? And could it be that if we adopt this understanding of a quote unquote problem solver process, can we just understand that he's already implicitly internalized the limitations of his frame and made adjustments in terms of his game to compensate and in many ways, not only cover up, but maybe um, excel as a result of his frame. He's learned ways to exploit what he has. He has his authenticity as a player. Like you said, he's a route runner. He understands how to create separation. It's part of his game. It may not be straight linear speed, but it's an understanding of how to create separation through the stems of his routes. He understands how to do that. So therefore he can mitigate the need to have any type of close quarters contact that will in any way compromise his physical kind of stature from game in to game out. He's done it. And he's not just doing it and getting 50 yards a game. Like you said, we're talking about like really extremely lofty performances against the best in the country. So, I mean, the leap from collegiate ball to the NFL can't be overstated. It is a massive leap in many, many ways. We could argue that Justin, we can argue Justin Jefferson had similar frame concerns. I mean, now, yeah, it's not 170. I get it. But there was long, lean concerns about Justin Jefferson. Is he going to be able to hang in the NFL as being this leaner type of receiver and leaner type of frame? He's doing quite well. Yeah, he's not, he's not DK Metcalf. I get it. But I, I think what we need to ask ourselves more and more is has the player learned? 
to win in the body that they're currently playing in? And are they winning in ways that transfer? And I don't think you can any way look at Devonta Smith and say unequivocally, yes, he does. Yes, he can. He can win in the frame he has. He has abilities that he's learned, solutions that he's shown where he can play at the next level. So I think the frame conversations for all the BMI discussions that may ensue, I think we need to kind of, we've got to pump the brakes on that now. There may be correlation, but that certainly isn't causation. I I don't buy into it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. You know my stance on that and 100% in agreement with you. Uh, Only other wide receiver I want to bring up is Kadarius Toney, man. This is a guy who, it's great to see a guy explode like this late in his career. Eight catches, 153 yards, and one touchdown. And we talk about prototypes all the time. I mean, this is the new prototype of what NFL teams love in wide receivers. You know, think Debo Samuel, think DJ Moore, think, you know, you know, that's how Kadarius Tony is going to be used at the next level. LaVisca Chenault, like, you know, Kadarius Tony is going to be a guy that he's going to go higher than some guys that I think that were on that for most of the year, people assumed would go higher. And Kadarius Tony is going to go higher than them because the NFL is going to look at his skill set and they're going to want it on their offense. And teams are going to look at it and think this is a missing piece. And it's going to be really interesting to kind of see where he climbs. His teammate Grimes, I know you've talked about him a lot. I think he's going to be an intriguing day for repick. Uh, I wrote down Amon Ross St. Brown. I know how highly you think of him. I think he's maybe one of the most pro-ready uh, wide receivers in this class after we, you know, get through the initial guy there of like Chase and, and you know, and Devonta Smith. I think Amon Ross St. Brown, Chris Olave are two of the better route runners uh, in this draft class with, you know, uh, Devonta Smith and Chase as well. Uh, so those are a couple other wide receivers. Any thoughts on Tony and how just he kind of fits what NFL teams maybe are looking for? Well, this goes back to the draft last year when we were talking about Antonio Gibson. We were talking about Lynn Bowden Jr. And we were talking about um, uh, the name escape, LaVisca Chenault. We were talking about all three of those guys. And we were talking about the emergence of that quasi kind of third player now. Is he going to be a receiver? Or is he a running back? Like, what is he? You know, and that was already predicated on the heels of the Debo Samuels of the world coming into the league and the DJ Moores. But I think DJ Moore and I think Debo Samuel, more DJ Moore, I think DJ Moore was definitely going to be used as a receiver. But there was arguments that Debo Samuel could be used in a variety of ways. Hell, he was used in a variety of ways in San Francisco. But then now enter the emergence, the late emergence of a player like Lynn Bowden Jr., and you have to kind of say to yourself, Kadarius Tony, you know, Debo Samuel, uh, is that is that the world he's going to live in? I think so because I think that there's a lot of room to have players that are both a running back slash slot receiver esque quality player. It gives you a lot of versatility from a tactical standpoint to stretch the field in a variety of ways. You can put a guy in motion, you can have him stutter, and then have him go vertical. You can go put him in motion and then you can hand it off and he can go ahead and rip off, you know, 25 yards, you know, from, from the line of scrimmage just on a carry, because that's how elusive he is in the open field. I I, I think, I think that there's going to be um, the opportunity there. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for Kadarius, Tony. I I, got to tell you something. I think he's a player that I'll be focusing on in my own leagues as a player that I'm going to go grab. 
Yeah, absolutely. And if we round out the NFL draft report, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't once again talk about how ridiculous Kyle Pitts is. Seven catches, 129 yards and a touchdown. I mean, it's not hyperbole anymore to say he's going to, he's going to come into the, NFL draft process as maybe the most highly regarded pass catching tight end of all time, of all yep. time. Yep. Like he's, he, what he does, his movement skills, his ability to adjust his body control. These are not things you see. I mean, listen, we were as big Evan Ingram fans as there were you years before it even happened. And we loved OJ Howard and other, other tight ends. Noah Fant, we liked, TJ Hawkinson we liked. Kyle Pitts is on a different level in terms of his receiving capabilities. Yeah. A totally different level. That he might go as a pure receiving tight end and he might be a top 10 pick. And if not top 10, top 12. And he should not be asked to play in line much at all. You know, you're not taking, you're not maximizing his skill set. And then uh, uh, Charlie Collard of Iowa State, six catches, 92 yards, and one touchdown. He might be tight end three. uh, He might be tight end four in this class. You got Pitts, you got Fryer Moot, you got Brevin Jordan. I think Collard is in the mix to be that four tight end, maybe as a round three or, you know, early day three pick. Okay, so he's a guy that I think is intriguing. So, listen, those guys, I've talked about them a lot this year. You know, I know you usually prefer your tight ends to be a little bit more of a balanced, complete tight end. When when you watch Kyle Pitts, though, is it just, you know, sometimes there's outliers, right? Sometimes there's, sometimes yeah. there's things that you're like, okay, I can live with the fact that he's not going to line up in line and smash somebody in the mouth. <laughs> I think, am I right in assuming you look at Pitts and you're like, yeah, okay, I can live with my tight end and him not doing that. Don't ask him to do that. Uh, of course, of course. I think that, <laughs> I think that, I, I think that was the same answer that I had with guys like Evan Ingram. Don't ask him to do that. Like it doesn't matter. You know, I think he's, he'll be competent enough to, to not be a complete zero on the stat sheet when it comes to, you know, chip blocking anybody. But I mean, I, I understand that, but I mean, he's not there. He's not there to chip block. If he's there to chip block, then you draft the wrong, wrong guy. Yeah. You did. You drafted the wrong guy. You know, I understand that you have We've to, seen this enough in New York for four yeah, years. Yeah. Four well, years. Yeah. And, and listen, and listen, I, and I, I mean, speaking of Evan Ingram and the backlash that this guy is receiving as a result of making the pro bowl, I mean, I feel terrible for him because, <laughs> you know, people are just like, I, and I get it. I get it. James Robinson didn't make it. I understand that there's worth Robert, of- Ta- Robert Tanya has 10 touchdowns in the yeah, same I, amount of yards. He I, should I, be, I, listen, I love Evan Ingram. I, I, yeah. I want him to break out in New York. He doesn't deserve the pro yeah, bowl. When I'm Robert right Tanya, when Robert Tanya, he has 10 touchdowns. <laughs> I, I'm I'm right there with you. And I feel terrible for the guy because, I mean, like, you know, here he is finally kind of getting the opportunity to be the focal point. And, you know, he listened. It didn't it didn't really go his way. He didn't really produce at the same level we would have wanted him to. Uh, not this year. It shouldn't have been what it was. And and I and I and I can see that, you know, but I think that when you when you talk about a player like Evan Ingram, though, I think he is he is a cautionary tale. For a player like Pitts, if he's not used consistently out of the blocks as a primary pass catcher, if he's even a guy that's going to be looked at as being a third or fourth guy in your receiving core, then you're not drafting him. You're taking Kyle Pitts with the intention of your top receiving threat or second receiving threat on your team. So, I mean, I I really mean that. I, I think you're taking him with the intentions of making him your second or first receiving threat on the team. And I know that's bizarre 
to come out of the tight end position. But I, I, I think that's why you're taking him. And I think that's what you're going to do with him. I mean, look at, look at Chase Claypool in Pittsburgh. I mean, there's a player right now who we talked about positional changes as being in the mix potentially when he was drafted by Pittsburgh. Could he be a tight end? You know, there's, I think there's going to be a lot of positional kind of things flying around. Could Kyle Pitts just end up being, you know, a wide receiver on a team? If he goes to the right situation where they don't really have much of anything to pass to, it could be, it could very well be that he's your, he's your wide receiver one on that team. He should be drafted in that respect. He should be drafted as a top receiving player for the team. That's what I think. Yeah, and listen, I they're not going to be in position to draft him without a big trade up. But if for some reason Drew Brees decides he's going to play another year in New Orleans, New Orleans has got a good defense. They know how to look what they did with Jimmy Graham when he was a star. I wouldn't be stunned to see them make an aggressive move up to try to go get Kyle Pitts because like, you know, we've seen Sean Payton have success with that, you know, at a tight end like that and not ask him to block much, but there's other teams too. So Pitts is going to be a fascinating one to see who, who, who takes the plunge. Is it a creative mind that, that knows really how to maximize the skill set? I think is going to be really important in terms of his immediate impact. Uh, at the NFL level, which we know usually it's a usually a little slow developing for tight ends. Uh, it so it's going to be interesting. Him, it shouldn't be with it him. shouldn't be. If the, if you ask him to, if you put him in position to succeed, that's the key. So let's take this, let's take this to Debbie slant. And I've talked about so many of these underclassmen most of the year, but with, since they have you on here tonight, I want to bring up two freshmen and they didn't have monster games this week. But I kind of want to open the floor for you just to kind of talk about them a little bit. Uh, you know, if there's any thoughts on what they did this year or long-term outlook. Wide receiver Julian Fleming and tight end Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame. Thoughts on these guys, long-term upside. Are we talking about down the line, we're going to be talking about these guys as first-round caliber players? Is that maybe a little bit too high of expectations to put them on them at this point? Uh, where are you on on these two freshmen that have shown some glimpses this year of their skill set that made them two highly regarded you know, recruits coming out of high school with both of these players? So, I mean, you know, listen, going to Julian Fleming, we'll, we'll, we'll start there. I mean, I, I make no qualms about it. I think Julian Fleming, first of all, Julian Fleming was one of the top, you know, rated players in the country. So coming out of high school, this was a guy that had many accolades already, already touting him as being one of the best players in the country. And listen, this year, you know, I mean, when you look at what they already had at Ohio State, it, it doesn't really shock me that it was a little bit of a late bloomer in terms of production. Um, but I think Julian Fleming is poised to be kind of a stalwart in that particular Buckeye offense for several seasons to come. I mean, you know, when you look at, when you look at Julian Fleming and you kind of examine him, you know, from who he was coming out of high school to where he is now, you know, Fleming is a player that can win in really, really a, a variety of ways, but I think he's best served at winning in those short to intermediate areas. And he has the ability to win on deep routes. I think his biggest strength coming out of high school was he was a deep route threat. He had the strength, the acceleration. He had good contact fidelity throughout his stems. He was able to avoid reroutes. He had good dexterity in terms of his hands. He had a good catch radius. He had good flexibility and explosive strength on the, on, uh, 
on the deep areas of the field. And I thought he was functional in the short to intermediate areas. Um, He was good after the catch. I think he's a player that I think is going to be, I thought he was going to be a potential early contributor this year, but I think the talent pool in uh, Buckeye nation was just so significant that we didn't see much, but I do think he's a potential top three on the depth chart at the slot receiver or split end position. And I do see him being a player that I think is going to end up being a player that ends up being in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. I think he does have that capacity to play Michael Mayer. On the other hand, I think Michael Mayer is one of the tight ends that I was really excited about coming out of high school as well. I mean, I I didn't really get a chance to profile as many tight ends as I would have wanted to, but I chose players at the tight end position to profile that I was really excited about. And Michael Mayer was one of those. And when you look at Michael Mayer, and I think you've seen this now at Notre Dame, I think he's a potential mismatch. I wrote that he was a potential mismatch for linebackers and safeties at the next level. I said, Mayer has shown the competency as a blocker in the open field. Although his exposures were limited, I do see promise in those areas. He needs development to contribute, but he's potential to be a combo tight end and emerge at the next level. I can see um, Mayer potentially becoming that typical combo inline tight end by year two. And I think he's going to be poised to be uh, an NFL contributor at some point down the line. So he was a guy that I was really excited about. I thought he was a player that was a good route runner. I thought he separated well. Um, he, I thought he was a really great player. So I was really excited to see him emerge so quickly in Notre Dame. And I'm just going to bring up one more, Paul. And this sure. is a player who recently, I think, has really kind of shown his abilities to be there. And he's getting a lot of publicity across the those of us in the, the Devi world. He's getting a lot of publicity recently, and rightfully so. He was a player that I was really excited about. The LSU prospect, that is Kayshawn Bouti. Um, he has incredible ability. I mean, I told you out of coming out of high school, he was a guy that I was looking at as one of the best contested catches at all levels of the field. I thought he was one of the best contested catchers in this particular class. His releases off the line of scrimmage were really impressive. He showed a combination of acceleration, agility in tight spaces, explosive strength, contact fidelity, anticipation of reroutes, and good route manipulation at all levels. And he was the type of guy that I was really excited to see You know how he might emerge at the next level. And he was a guy that I was really kind of I was really kind of advocating for if you were a Devi player for you to go out and draft him. And he's a guy that's come on pretty strong for the Tigers recently. And I think he's going to potentially be again, like Julian Fleming. I do see him as a potential kind of split end or flanker position type of player. And I think he's a guy that we really got to keep, you know, really a close eye on. I think he's going to potentially emerge as a great player. And I had him as our number four wide receiver you know, in our uh, freshman notebook. So he was a guy that I was really excited about. I had him as number two on deep routes. That was where I really thought he kind of accelerated. He was a great deep route receiver. And of course, we're going to see him kind of come up in the bowl game soon. Keep your eyes on DeMond DeMoss, right? DeMond DeMoss of Texas A&M. He's a guy that we're kind of all kind of sitting on the edge of our sheet, hoping, hoping to see him emerge as the kind of freak of nature kind of wide receiver that we saw in college, we're hoping to see him take that next kind of step. And he's a guy that, you know, we'll have a chance to see up close and personal at the orange bowl. So I'm excited to see that. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love picking your brain on these freshmen because you do, 
you know, such a deep dive on them in terms of their high school that you have like this extra knowledge of these players. You know, I basically watch them once they get to the collegiate game. But I think I think your insight when you're able to talk about these guys from knowing just like what you thought about them as a high school guy, I think does add a lot of of value. So it's great when you get a chance to kind of dig into these freshmen a little bit in terms of what you might have anticipated them transitioning and where they're at right now and where they may be going. A lot of, a lot of great young uh, freshmen in the country. I mean, another day we'll talk about, you know, the, the star studded freshman running backs that are just been dominant this year. Uh, We'll get to them on maybe next week. We'll bring up a couple of those guys, uh, you know, and, and, and dig in a little bit on that. But to your, but to your point, I think Michael Mayer was a great pick because I think when you talk about Michael Mayer and you talk about Eric Gilbert and you talk about Darnell Washington at UGA, I think you're talking about three kind of up and coming tight end prospects that are, that have their sights set on the NFL. So I think, that you know the the tight end position which is frequently unknown and at times barren in terms of production until we kind of get a chance to see how they're going to emerge at the next level in collegiate football um i i think there's a lot of promise that's already starting to show through at the tight end position so if you're in a devi league i think this is the year that you maybe if you're sitting in that like middle tier of your devi picks you're talking like pick number five six seven or eight uh, you could do a lot worse than throwing a pick at it, Eric Gilbert, or throwing a pick on, you know, uh, Darnell Washington from UGA, or maybe throwing one at Michael Mayer. I think these guys are NFL bound. I don't think there's any reason to think Eric Gilbert, obviously, but I don't think there's any reason to think Michael Mayer and Darnell Washington are going. So I think those are guys that you could stash a tight end and listen. Tight ends are proving to be the the kind of uh, the kind of cheat code that for long term dynasty success. If you can find a couple of them, man, your, your team's in better shape. I mean, tell me how hard it was to find a tight end that was serviceable this year, Paul. Yeah, you're right. And and to be honest with you, it's not just those freshmen. There's some guys next year that are going to be intriguing. You know, Jalen Weidermeyer at Texas A&M has put on, has put together quite the season, and he's a guy who's get, garnering a lot of attention. And, you know, you haven't been on air with me since the announcement broke is that Grant Calcaterra is coming back. And and yes. he was a very intriguing prospect. I liked him a lot as a day two guy last draft season, you know, before he unfortunately stepped away from football for a while. So we have these freshman, you know, dynamites at the tight end position. We obviously know we're going to get this infusion of Kyle Pitts and Friar Muth and Brevin Jordan this year. And then we got some interesting names who are going to be draft eligible next year. So the pipe line of getting these tight ends at the next level we really could see or we could really see a development of a lot of you know a lot more tight ends that are more athletic more receiving capabilities you know and higher level type players you know in the near future in the nfl yeah and and you know what i mean just because i I just happen to come across them another kind of um freshman notebook kind of uh fan favorite so to speak from my standpoint was a guy who was out on injury baylor cup of texas a&m yep. and also austin stoner from oklahoma i mean austin stoner that pipeline of oklahoma kind of talent at the tight end position will continue to kind of i think you know bear fruit so he's a guy for sure to stay on the lookout for yeah it's it really is impressive and of course you have you have hunter henry's little brother in the distance at Arkansas <laughs> Hudson Henry, um, who was a really impressive player in high school too. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about. 
Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's take this a, a quick tail of the tape here, and we'll talk more about some of the bowl games next week. I know some of them have started to kick off. There'll be a couple others between now and the next time we record, uh, which will probably be early next week. Uh, and we'll talk about them then. But initial thoughts, Matt, on the playoffs. Obviously, right now, uh, I mean, it's set up Alabama versus Notre Dame in the 1-4 game, Clemson versus Ohio State in the 2-3 game. I got to be honest with you, I'm a Notre Dame guy. I'm a Notre Dame fan, I should say. I didn't go to Notre Dame, but I'm a Notre Dame fan. I root for them. I don't think they deserved it. I I don't think they deserved it. Uh, I think Texas A&M deserved it. This goes into the question of are you giving people – are you putting people in based on – you know, rewarding for what they've done, or are you trying to get the best four in the country? I think it's a very, it's a tough thing. We we go through it every year. Uh, I think it probably should have been Texas A and M instead of Notre Dame. Honestly, I don't think it really will matter. I think Alabama wins that game easily and convincingly. Whether it's Notre Dame or Texas A and M, I do think Texas A and M maybe could have put up a little bit of a better fight. I think Clemson beats Ohio State. And I think we're heading towards another Alabama-Clemson national title game. Initial thoughts on the playoff. Obviously, we'll talk more about it as we get a little bit closer to it. But, you know, this year there's usually a much wider gap, right, between when it's announced and when the games are going to be played. This year it's a little bit more condensed, obviously, due to the unorthodox season we just had. So there's not a lot of time before these games. It's only one more episode, and we'll talk a little bit about it uh, next week as well. But any initial thoughts on the playoff? Did they get it right? Can either Ohio State or Notre Dame stay with Alabama or Clemson? Yeah, I I, I think that I agree with you in terms of who should have been in versus who should have been out. I'm, I I mean I'm a I'll listen I, I'm a fan of Notre Dame as a as a program. I, I'd love to see. I think I think college football is better when Notre Dame is relevant. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure that they really deserve to be in this position. That being said, um, I also am trying to give the committee a little bit, not of a, not a pass, but I'm trying to give all of sports a little bit of a pass this year, trying to, trying to make things work under the most kind of unique and, um, crazy of circumstances. You know, I think it's hard to, to even, even get the season done. Never mind come up with a criteria that's, you know, that's correct given the situations that we have. You know, I, I, I don't like it. I'm not in, I'm not in love with Notre Dame in, I think it should have been Texas A&M, but that being said, I, I, Paul, I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's Alabama and then I think it's Clemson and I think it's a, it's going to be a, a, a reshow of Alabama Clemson again. I, I don't see a reason why in the last time we did this, I think it was like three years ago, we were talking about Alabama Clemson. I think we we're talking about Alabama Clemson again. I think we're just talking about it again and again and again. And I just kind of feel like that's that's the that's the collision course we're on in terms of the championship game. I would like to see Ohio State give them a run. I, I, I think it's gonna be great to see, you know, a healthy kind of uh Justin Fields on a big stage because if you remember last time when Clemson went up against Ohio State, I mean, you know, Justin Fields wasn't healthy. So I think a healthy Justin Fields coming off a game that was a, a down game and a publicly very, very well-known down game for him. Yeah. I want to see how he reacts. I want to see how he reacts. This is a big game. 
This is a very big game for Justin Fields and for fans of Justin Fields. You want to see him take the proverbial bull by the horns, step up, and you want to see him play the type of football that you think he's capable of, which is that championship-level caliber football that's going to be the leader of a franchise at the next level in the NFL. You want to see him do that. You want to see him elevate this team and potentially elevate them to a point where they are contending with Clemson. I'm just not sure both sides of the ball are really that equivalent. That's my concern. You know, I, I, I think Clemson is going to potentially, you know, I think Clemson may win this game, you know, pretty, pretty well. I think, I think they're going to win the game, but I do think that there's a, there is a, a world where Ohio state can be contending and they can do well. And I think a lot of that hinges on Justin Fields showing up and playing the best football he has of his career. And I want to see that happen. I think they have the weapons to do it. I really do, but they have to do it. So I'm very excited for that game. The Notre Dame, Alabama game, I I think Alabama is going to win that pretty handily. Yeah. And listen, Stuart Mandel, uh, Mandel of The Athletic wrote a great article this week and he titled it, Dear College Football, Blow Up Your Postseason and Start a New One. And he lays out a lot of reasons of why the four game playoff just isn't working. And, you know, it needs, there needs to be some new blood and new juice in the playoff. And I think by stretching it out to eight, you might have, it might not be so stagnant every single year. College football is great. It, the excitement of college football is fantastic. You know, even in a year where we don't have the fans, you know, like usual in most places or very limited fans, college football is great. We love it. But I feel like they need to do something. It's the same two, three, four teams almost every single year. The teams that are in consideration, they need to find a way to make, to A, give some of these smaller programs a a shot to even be considered the Cincinnati's of the world, other years, you know, it might be Boise State's of the world. They just, they need to do something to, I think, make it a little bit more unique and be a little bit different because I, I think this, I don't think this is working. I think it's, I, I, you know, I listen, I'm excited to watch the games, but I feel like they, they have to maybe think a little bit more long-term and big picture. These teams are so established that once, you know, they basically auto recruit themselves, these, these big time programs, these schools just keep churning out these great teams. And it's the same teams year after year after year that, you need, even if at least, even if they are the final two left or the final four every time, if you expand it out to eight, at least we see some differences each year. At least we see new teams make it, you know, in the, in maybe the first round, whatever you want to call it, you know, if it was eight teams, you know, so I, I think it's an interesting case. It was a good article for people who have an athletic subscription. First off, you should have one. It's, it's, it's a great, great, uh, platform for uh for so many different sports in general uh but it's a really good article if you have the athletic subscription go check it out because i i do really believe that he makes a lot of valid points in terms of things that maybe they should consider and and why they should consider him well i i'm gonna add this in because i know we can talk about this ad nauseum i mean I think this this I think this pandemic situation could have went either way from the pro, from the prospectus of or from the from the standpoint of the college football playoff. 
I think in the same breadth, while we're trying to limit exposure and rightfully so, there are bigger things afoot than simply college football. And we have to be careful and be safe. There is an argument that they could have expanded just for just for the purposes of experimentation, given the idea that we don't have a lot of games. Could they have expanded it out to eight teams this year? Right. So could they have done it this year? This probably would have been the throwaway season where you could have gotten away with it. You know, you could have said, well, as a result of the lack of opportunity or significantly, you know, kind of shortened seasons, this would have been the year to maybe see how an eight kind of 18 playoff might actually kind of unfold because we don't have a full season, right? I mean, a lot of teams are playing, you know, their records are like, you know, they're the six, six wins. You know I mean? Like we're not talking a deep, deep, you know, kind of run here. So there's a potential where they kind of maybe, maybe the college football playoff missed an opportunity here. You know, maybe they missed an opportunity to kind of extend out to eight games. But as I said before, I don't want to be naive and so silly as to not say that there are more important things, you know, like the health of the students and the faculty and the staff, um, that we should be kind of overlooking such things just for the benefit of playing football games. But if, if we are in a safe environment and there was an opportunity to do something different, then potentially we could have done something different this year and maybe explored that. Yeah. I think, I think you make, I think you make a valid point with the, the inequities in games played this year. This might've been the year that they could have said, listen, let's at least go all the power five champs, and yep. then a couple at large bids and let's get to eight and let's roll. And, yeah, and, and let's just see not? how it looks. Let's yeah. just see how it looks. I mean, you know, I, I get it though, Paul, I get it. We're trying so hard to limit exposure. No, I, that know. We, I that, know that to add games, they probably were like, we don't want to add games. I get yeah. it. Yes. It would have been, you know? it would have been a little bit tricky for sure. So, all right, let's take this and close it out with a quick uh, NFL draft report. I mean, NFL rookie report for week 15, uh, Justin Herbert, 22 of 32, 314 yards and two touchdowns. Tua, 20 of 26, 145 yards. They actually have two rushing, short rushing touchdowns. But the story of the week at the quarterback position was Jalen Hurts, 24 of 44, battled Kyler Murray to the bitter end, 338 yards passing, three touchdowns, another 63 yards rushing and a touchdown on the ground. Matt, quick thought on Jalen Hurts and his, I got to be honest, really surprising first few games in an NFL, you know, starting and playing at the NFL level in terms of how well he's looked in terms of all facets of the game. Obviously, there's some inconsistent in terms of accuracy and stuff like that. 24-44, not the greatest. But overall... I'm blown away by the success he's had on a team that is was really struggling to do anything with few playmakers at wide receiver, a beat up offensive line, and Hertz has really rejuvenated that offense. Well, no, I'm actually going to throw the question right back at you because I think this is really good, given the fact that I know you're watching um, that you're watching a significant number of NFL games as am I, but. I want to throw it back at you because this was the question I actually had posed for you. You brought it up to me, but I'm going to switch it back to you. What do you really think, though? I mean, when you watch him play and you watch compared to what we saw in college, I mean, for me, my short little thumbnail sketch of it was he still looks like the player in college. I mean, he does, but his game has translated almost seamlessly you know, to the NFL in a way that I didn't really expect it to. I thought that they were that his developmental issues were going to pose issues 
for the transfer to the next level. And it really has it. It seems like he could still play Alabama football at, at the NFL level and be very competent. He could play Oklahoma football at this level and be very competent. I mean, what do you make of it? Because it's quite the, it's quite the conundrum. It's not the player. It's not like he's not the player we saw in college. Yeah, but, but, he, oh. but it's transferring. Yeah, but here's the thing. We said it with Josh Allen the first year he was in the league. If what if how he won in college can translate, then that's all you want. And then everything else in terms of development is gravy. He Jalen Hurts is winning right now on the football field at the NFL level the same way he won and made plays for Oklahoma and at times Alabama. He's using his athleticism. He's making plays with his legs. He's buying time in the pocket. We know he's got a big arm. It's not the most accurate, but we know he's got the arm talent to push the ball vertically down the field. And he's just a playmaker in a variety of ways that I think stock way up on Jalen Hurts. I think he should be a, I was, I was a little bit reluctant but now I think he should be a dynasty buy. It's going to be very hard to get him on your team because of after this week's performance. But he's already, you know, putting up passing numbers. I didn't know if he was honestly. I didn't know if he was going to have a game anywhere early in his career that he put up 338 yards passing. Didn't know if it was going to be in his repertoire. I really didn't. And for him to do that on top of what we know about his rushing ability, I think he's showing that his ceiling is very, very high now. And like. Ranking these rookie quarterbacks got just got really challenging, all four of them, because you can make a case that Tua, Tua should now be number four in yep. people's dynasty rookie quarterback rankings for last year's draft class, because we know Justin Herbert's transitioned amazingly. Jalen Hurts has the wild card with his rushing ability. Joe Burrow is is a guy who I like more for fantasy than Tua before the season even started. So you you look at this and you just wonder, now listen, that doesn't mean Tua is not going to be a really good NFL quarterback because I still think he is. Even at times him showing, you know, a little bit, you know, inconsistent early on here. I do think for fantasy, it's very debatable. And in a weird way, I think, I think the other guys might be so talented and might have more of a rushing upside that I could honestly think that it's not inconceivable that going into this offseason, two is looked at from this quarterback class as number four for fantasy. God, that's inconceivable. <laughs> it's inconceivable. I don't I think you're all out of your mind, but all right. <laughs> no, no, I, I I totally agree with you because when we were talking about a fantasy lens, I a hundred percent agree with you. Listen, I am still inclined to take Tua over Jalen Hurts, but I think the point being is is that the depth of this class truly passed beyond the means of what we thought. I think that's that's clear. We did not think initially when we went into this season that we would literally have potentially four, you know, bona fide kind of starters at quarterback in this dynasty class. We didn't think we had four dynasty quarterbacks. We knew Burroughs and Tua probably. Herbert, we'll see. You know, Hertz, that's a long shot. You know, we still have a couple on the horizon. I'm still a big advocate of free money in your league. Go pick up Jacob Eason and and get a little bit of the quarterback class just in case, because who knows? Um, but I think to the to the point that you were trying to make, which is from a fantasy lens, it's hard to ignore what Jalen Hurts brings to the table. 
And I think the Josh Allen comparison is is actually really adequate to actually maybe perfect because if he is going to need to develop, it looks like that's a team that's invested in potentially developing with him. Now, they still have Carson Wentz, so that alone gives me a little bit of pause. And to your point earlier, it may drive down the acquisition price. You could still argue that Carson Wentz is there. So even in dynasty leagues, you could say to the guy who owns Jalen Hurts, I mean, what makes you think for sure that they're going to give up on Carson Wentz? Now we're talking, we're hearing rumors and rumblings about trades and whatnot, but I I would throw that out there front and center as the reason to depress Jalen Hurts value a little bit and say, Hey, we have no certainty. We don't know. You know, we don't know for sure. So I'm willing to give you a second round pick right now for Jalen Hurts. Why don't you do it? Yeah. Why Why don't you do it? You know, instead of paying that first round premium, maybe you can get Jalen Hurts for a number two. And maybe you can hold on to him for a second round pick, you know? And if he hits and he's Josh Allen of the future or more, it's gold. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, listen, I think it's really interesting. I mean, the fact that this is even a legitimate question right now, I think speaks volumes on how good Jalen Hurts has looked this year, how good Justin Herbert has been this year, you know, for a much longer stretch, obviously, than Jalen Hurts has. But I think it's wild to think that, you know, for the for most dynasty players, I think two is going to be fourth on that list. As crazy as it sounds right now, and no, and know. and you know, listen, it, it's going to be fascinating to kind of see how these guys play out over over the course of their careers. Real quick, running backs: Jonathan Taylor this week, sixteen carries, eighty three yards, and a touchdown. Uh, has has really kind of caught stride here down the stretch of the season. You know, still not doing much in the passing game, and I kind of think that. You know, Taylor is going to be a little bit touchdown dependent and a little bit game flow dependent, you know, and that might be something that hinders his ceiling in terms of fantasy. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire suffered an injury. Looks like he's going to miss the rest of the regular season. Uh, I do think there are some legitimate questions about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and how high his ceiling is when most people, I think, were ready to punch him in as, you know, a top five, you know, type dynasty running back for, for a long portion of his career attached to that offense. They've just said they just realized taking the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands too many times is is bad is bad for business, and I agree with him, uh, which made that pick a little bit of a luxury pick. Uh, but and he might be really good for their offense. I just don't know if it's going to turn into consistent fantasy gold. I think he's going to be an RB two for sure, but is he going to be that high end RB one that I think maybe people thought he was going to be? I do think there's some legitimate questions there. J.K. Dobbins finally starting to really seize control of that backfield with Gus Edwards worked in as well, but 14 carries, 64 yards and a touchdown. I think J.K. Dobbins blows up next year. I'd get him on your team now. DeAndre Swift, 15 carries, 67 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, Swift and Dobbins would be the guys I'd want to get on my team in the offseason of the two of the of the the top five guys from that class. They're the ones that I'd want to be investing the most in. They were my number one and number two based on talent alone. I think those would be the guys for fantasy that I'd be most aggressive trying to get this offseason. Cam Akers, 63 yards rushing after his blow-up game the week before and got nicked up a little bit, so we'll see. I think he might miss some time as well. Matt, any any quick thoughts on these running backs? You don't have to go for each one at a time, but if there was one or two that you would try to be actively, aggressively buying in the offseason, who would it be? I know I know you were a big, big fan of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Are you still on that? Or 
for fantasy, is there a little bit of hesitation that he just might not be asked to do the amount we need to be that bell cow, top five, top 10 type running back? Yeah, I, I think that's the that's the key point, right? You got to delineate between what are we talking about? We're talking about ability or are we talking about, you know, fantasy football? If we're going to talk fantasy football, you know, I, I still believe that there's there's there is value if you have Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I don't think you wasted your first round pick on him. I do think that, like you said, Paul, he's an RB2 for, for as long as he chooses to be on that team. And I think that that's going to be, you know, a very competent player to have. I think he's going to have the receiving capabilities and running capabilities to be great. Um, out of that group, um, the guy that I'm going after, hands down, is J.K. Dobbins, if I can get him. Um, J.K. Dobbins, you know, was my number two on talent behind Edward Solaire. Um, and I, I, I really like him. And, you know, him and DeAndre Swift are the guys that I'd be focusing on. I don't think you're going to be able to get a, either one of the go- those guys, to be honest with you. I, I don't see a world where you're going to be able to get them. You know who I think I'm targeting, Paul? Just because the, it's still up in the air? Oh. I'd, throw, I'd throw some money at the Lynn Bowden Jr. owners because we don't know what Lynn Bowden Jr. is or isn't on Miami. And I think you can get him for a song right now. I still think he's going to be a very, very acquirable player you're taking a risk does he end up being lavisca chenault or does he become antonio gibson we don't know they don't know i'm sure they don't know yet but his emergence as being a connection with him and tua is probably not falling on deaf ears on brian flores i'm pretty sure brian flores sees it yeah so, I would, I would, I would say let's let's pivot completely away from this group because I don't think you're going to get any of them for for a right price. And why don't you go ahead and go and get a little limb out in junior? Yeah, I think I think it's a great wild card. You know, it would be interesting to see if he can if he holds that positional versatility next year, or Yahoo or other websites designate him, you know, just a wide receiver. So I think that that can go a long well, way. Well, Cordero Patterson has held it for two years, right? Yeah. I mean, so, hasn't Cordero had it? He's had it for two years. Yeah, I believe that's correct. So he might. He might. So let, let's round this out real quick. Wide receiver position. Jerry Judy continues to struggle with drops, which is really weird. I'm not ready to write off Jerry Judy. He was my favorite prospect. I might use this opportunity in this offseason as an opportunity to try to buy low on Jerry Judy. But he he has had some inconsistencies this year for sure. And a lot of drops, which is yeah. which is really stunning weird. for him. Uh, you know, so, so he's an interesting guy that, you know, if, if somebody's down on him, I'd try to go steal him and buy him in the offseason. Uh, Justin Jefferson obviously has moved his way clearly to the top, you know, with the season he's put together. Maybe you can make the case the third best rookie wide receiver season ever after Randy Moss and Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, Brandon Ayuk continues, you know, obviously they're banged up there. No George Kittle, Debo's out now, but Ayuk is just showing why. Th- Kyle Shanahan said he was his favorite wide receiver in this draft class for what he wants to do. They just manufacture touches for him. They get him the ball in space. There wasn't a better marriage of receiver skill set and coaching uh, play calling slash scheme than Brandon Ayuk with Kyle Shanahan. And and we've, we've just started to see the, the, the benefits of that. If people aren't valuing him correctly, go aggressively get Brandon Ayuk in the offseason because – with Kyle Shanahan, he's going to make Brandon Ayuk a legitimate big time wide receiver, impactful for fantasy, and 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 uh, in time they're going to upgrade the quarterback position. And when they do, I want to be invested 
in as much of that San Francisco offense as possible. Debo, Ayuk, you know, those guys still can be bought at, at, and not an astronomical price. George Kittle would be a different story. I'm not going to even add him to the mix because that would, you know, that would, that's not that feasible. It's feasible to try to go find your way and get Brandon Ayuk this offseason or Debo Samuel for sure coming off a very, you know, injured season this year. So, Matt, any quick thoughts on Judy, his drops, Justin Jefferson, and Brandon Ayuk to round out the night? I'm equally shocked as Judy. Um, Brandon Ayuk was a player that I tried to acquire during the season. I had no luck. So I've been on that bandwagon for a little while trying to make sure I got him. I, I couldn't get him. So I would absolutely go and test the waters on him. And then, of course, I'll continue to throw out my my deep dive stashes, the guys that I would hold on to, players that I would kind of stash on your benches if you can. Uh, Brian Edwards is still free money. Everybody will give him away for nothing. You offer the right pick. I think you can get him. And I think that he's an opportunity still to get a wide receiver, potential wide receiver one. Um, I also think Colin Johnson, the guy that you go kind of invest in. We don't know what Mike Conley is doing with his contract. Are they keeping him or are they not? I also think that you should go and take a look at uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Okay. Donovan Peoples-Jones has had nothing but like catch after catch over the last couple of weeks. I think the last three weeks running, Paul, he's had like, I think, over 50 yards on less than five catches, and he hasn't dropped a ball. So I think it's been like something like three for three or two for three. I mean, it's like been something like that, and it's been over 50 yards, like 75 yards, 80 yards, 90 yards, and like a touchdown thrown in there. Donovan Peoples-Jones, yes, he's limited by the fact that the Browns offense is still going to have Landry and Odell Beckham hanging around, but I don't think that that means that you know, Donovan people Jones can't be a guy that works his way in at the wide receiver three position and be very viable. So I'd go take a look at him as well. And I'd also throw out the name of Cam Sims right over at Washington. I think there's a guy that we'd have no idea what's going on with Washington. I think they are definitely going to take, make an upgrade at the quarterback position. And Sims seems to have worked his way into being that wide receiver two alongside Terry McLaurin. Now that doesn't mean that I don't think there's not going to be another player that ends up being there. Um, however, I do think that um, Sims is going to be a part of their future for sure. Yeah, and listen, Calvin Harmon coming back from an injury next yep. year. You know, uh, Gandy Golden really didn't get on the field this year. And, you know, you would think they probably invest a resource there somewhere. So, you know, listen, I, I think Sims has been a solid player. I, I, I think he's a flyer. He's a flyer for sure. And, and kind of wait it out and see what happens there and who's the quarterback next year. And a lot of questions there. So Matt, always a pleasure to have you back on. I'm glad we got to do this one together. Uh, again, people, if you are listening to the podcast regularly following Matt and I on Twitter, please get over to the website. SS football is the best way to get there. Uh, and check out the premium notebooks. This is really uh, when people usually really start digging into them. Uh, you know, it's the best way to really get start getting prepared for the pre-draft season. I mean, profiles on up to 80, 90 guys. It'll be updated, added. More names will be added. Uh, more things will be updated. You know, strengths, functional areas, developmental areas, concerns, how they win, NFL draft projection, NFL role, fantasy spin for every single player in the scouting notebook. Our rankings notebook has so many different types of rankings, our dynasty rookie rankings, our Debbie rankings, our draft eligible rankings, our tiered rankings. Once we do our tier shows, like a lot of stuff there. And then in April, you get the draft projections notebook tabs for every play, every position, offense and defense, all their measurements, their combine testing, uh, 
a synopsis on who they are and in a, in a snapshot of their strengths, some developmental areas or concerns and ranking it how I expect it to go from everything I'm hearing, not my rankings. You can get them in the rankings notebook, but from what everything I'm hearing from the best sources in the industry, listening to reading, et cetera, et cetera, trying to project how it's going to go on draft weekend. Uh, and then a tab projecting the 32 players to go in round one, the top 100 or so players to go in the first three rounds. And then my guest trying to project every single pick in the draft. It is the best way to support the show. So please, if you can, if you bought it in the past, please consider purchasing it again. If you've never checked it out, we would really greatly appreciate if you check it out. Um, you know, it really helps and and helps us here. All the money goes back into Saturday to Sunday. So please consider uh, checking it out. If you have any questions, do not hesitate to reach out to Matt or myself. So Matt, any final parting shots here to end the night? No, I, I would just echo that if you are interested in you know, kind of beginning to make those shark moves in your respective leagues, whether it's a dynasty league or a Devi league, these types of products, whether it's our show or, or, or many of our affiliates, one of the, you know, the shows that we all are very happy and support with their products as well. This is the time to start investing in some of those things, because then you can start beginning to assess the value of the draft picks that you hold or the draft picks that others hold. So that way you can get a better idea of what you need to spend in order to acquire the capital that you need to continue building your dynasty. So on that note, I would also like to take this moment. Again, Paul and I are so incredibly privileged and humbled and grateful for being able to do what we're able to do here on the show at Saturday, Sunday. We just want to take this moment and just wish you, your families and your loved ones an incredible holiday season and we hope that if this you know, podcast will find your ears and your family's ears, bring the whole family, uh, we'll find you guys safe and healthy and having an incredible holiday season. And we are, again, beyond grateful for your continued support. And as Paul said, please, please consider supporting us with your purchase of the premium notebooks. It really does keep the lights on here for what we love to do and the passion that we love to bring to each and every episode. So thank you so much and best to your families. Absolutely. Echo that. Happy holidays. Happy new year to all you guys. Uh, like I said, we might have a, you know, we might sneak in one more recording before the new year, uh, but depending on when you listen to it, you know, it could be after the new well, we year. We got to talk about Zach like Wilson that. and Justin Fields. I absolutely. Mean, we, we absolutely. About that. You know, that's, that's, that's on the docket for next week. For sure. So for Matt, for our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.